The following message is brought to you by the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church. This message was recorded during our regular morning worship service. Pastor Matt is the senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. And filling in for Pastor Matt today is our discipleship pastor, Lou Dawson. And he'll be talking about worship. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 95. And Pastor Lou will be talking about how we should be worshiping our God. And now, here's Pastor Lou. It is so neat to trust in Jesus. He is such a wonderful God. You know, for the first ten years of my of my Christian life, the thought of heaven kind of elicited a certain amount of even even dread. You know, the few pictures that we have of heaven in the scriptures, one of the things that we see about heaven is that there's a whole lot of worshiping going on up there in heaven. Uh, we look at what the Apostle John saw in the book of Revelation. He says this. He says, and I, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads, and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And Isaiah saw a similar scene when he saw heaven. He saw seraphim flying around the Lord in 24 hours a day, if you remember what they were saying. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And I almost hate to admit it now, but you know, my thoughts about heaven, what heaven was going to be like would kind of be summed up by one word, and that was the word Boring! You know, I'm afraid that many of us, myself included for a number of years, import this same kind of boring mentality into our worship here at church. And we're kind of thinking to ourselves as we come in each day, we don't say this, but we're kind of thinking, you know, boy, sure hope worship gets over so we get something more interesting like a message. Well, today I'd like to challenge all of our thinking on this mindset about worship. We're going to look at what the Scripture says about praise and worship of our Lord. And as we're reminded what the Scripture says about praise and worship and what they're really all about, we'll also be reminded of how utterly glorious worship is, both now and in eternity. And then after we talk about worship and praise, then we're actually going to practice it, the lab and the lecture, and Tom will lead us in that. And hopefully we'll resolve in our minds the same thing that the famous Christian brother Lawrence, who you may have heard of, resolved, and he said this, he said, the end that we ought to propose to ourselves is to become in this life the most perfect worshipers of God we can possibly be as we hope to be through all eternity. And the title of today's message is Come and Praise and Worship the Lord. And turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 95, which is a song about worship and praise, and we're going to look together and explore what it says about that subject. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look in the seat pocket in front of you there and find one. Well, the psalmist says this. He says, 
O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Let's stop right there. And the first thing that we see in verses 1 and 2 is that we are commanded to come and praise the Lord. And then the psalmist goes on to explain what that praise looks like. In verse 1, where the psalmist says, O come, actually in the Hebrew, that is actually a command. You see, coming to praise and worship the Lord is not optional. We're commanded to praise Him. In fact, as we talked about earlier, this will be our eternal occupation. And the main reason we come here on Sunday mornings to worship is to praise the Lord. You see, everything that goes on in this worship service is praising the Lord. As we sing, we're praising the Lord. As we give, we're giving to praise the Lord. And even as we listen to the message with our hearts prepared, that is even in praise to the Lord. But look at verse 1 with me again for a minute. Now, does it say, does it say, Oh, come to the worship service and let us sing to the Lord? It doesn't say that, does it, Stan? No, it doesn't. You see, praise and worship of the Lord are meant to be part of our lifestyle. You see, we're called to praise and worship Him all day long, every day, from the time that we get up in the morning till the time we go to bed at night. And when praising the Lord becomes our daily lifestyle, something very interesting begins to happen. You see, we're enabled to do the rest of what it says in verse 1. And that is that we actually begin singing for joy to the Lord. And notice that in the first two verses, joy is mentioned three different times. Joyous worship is what we're called to. Joyous worship is supposed to be the norm. And the problem that hinders most people from joyous worship is that they don't spend any time worshiping and praising the Lord and enjoying Him during the week. And spiritually, they kind of they stagger into the worship service and their spiritual gas tanks are on empty. And you can't come in and joyfully praise the Lord when your tank is on empty like that. You see, if we want to be joyous worshipers of the Lord on Sunday morning, then we need to be praising the Lord from Monday through Saturday. That's the way it works. We need to draw near to Him and praise Him every single day. And you see, Sunday is really meant to be the overflow of what's been going on in our personal relationship with God all week long. And when we live in fellowship with the Lord like that throughout the week, then what Sunday turns into is it turns into just a joyous overflow and spontaneous outburst of praise to Him. And that's what it's meant to be. Notice what the psalmist says in verse 2. He says, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. You see, when we praise and worship the Lord, 
whether at home or at church, we are standing in His presence. He is here right now. He is here listening to our hearts as we listen to the Word. He is here and He will be listening as we sing and praise Him later on. The audience of one is here. And we can't ever forget that when we come to praise and worship Him, we are standing in His very presence. And the praise and worship that we do is for Him. This worship service is not about us. It's about Him. And it's about praising and worship Him. And we've got to remember that. And notice in verse 2 that the praise also involves thanksgiving to the Lord. And thanksgiving is just simply a confession of all the blessings that the Lord has poured on us each day. And it's just confessing those things and giving thanks to Him for those things. And lastly, notice that we're called to be exuberant in our praise to the Lord. And notice twice that we're told to shout to the Lord. You know, in our home, uh, we don't have cable television. And occasionally, my wife and I desire to go see a special football game or a sporting event. So we go down to uh, Stadium Pizza here, and they've got all the big TVs all around. And, and what's interesting about that is it's almost as much fun to watch the people watching the event as it is to watch the event themselves. Go, 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 go! You dumb ref, did you miss that play? What's up with that? You know, and though we live in kind of a reserved culture in certain ways, people get exuberant about what they really care about. And when we're walking with the Lord all week long, praising Him and enjoying His nearness, then shouting joyfully to Him is the natural response. Just as people don't have to manufacture their exuberance at a good sporting event, when we're walking with the Lord, we won't have to manufacture that exuberance as we walk in communion with Him. So in verses 1 to 2, the psalmist commands his readers to come and praise the Lord and lays out what that praise looks like. Now look with me at verses 3 through 5, where the psalmist indicates why we should praise the Lord. And he says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods, and whose hands are the depths of the earth, and the peaks of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for it was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. And the first reason why we're supposed to praise the Lord is found in verse 3. And that is that our Lord is a great God. And the Hebrew word used for there, there is, the, is the Hebrew word El. And it means that He is the powerful, the mighty one. And the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us of the mighty power of our Lord in the Lord Jesus when He says this. He says, He is the radiance of His glory in the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. And one of the most interesting evidences of God's mighty power is in the most basic building blocks of this very universe, and that is the atom. 
Now, every atom has within the middle of it a nucleus. And the nucleus is composed of protons and neutrons. Now, what's very interesting about that is the, the neutrons have a neutral charge, but the protons all have a positive charge. Now, have any of you guys ever tried to take the, the, a magnet with the same ends and try to put those things together? Ever tried that? What happens? They repel each other. Well, guess what? Protons do exactly the same thing. And they're all bundled together in this little bundle called the nucleus in the very middle of each other, and they repel each other. Therefore, the nucleus of an atom shouldn't exist. Every nucleus should blow apart. But for some unknown reason, atoms hold together. The renowned physicist Carl Darrow made this, made this observation. He said, all massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created, and if created, they should have blown apart instantly. Yet, there they all are. Some inflexible inhibition is ho relentlessly holding them together. The nature of this inhibition is also a secret one thus far reserved by nature for herself. Why do atoms hold together? Because the Lord upholds things, everything by the word of His power. And in holding the nucleus of every atom together, the Lord literally holds the entire universe together. That is power. That is power. You see, if he were to even for one second suspend his control over that, the entire universe would explode into a massive nuclear explosion and there would be literally nothing left. But not only is the Lord all-powerful, the psalmist tells us that the Lord is a great king above all gods. You see, he is the absolute sovereign Nothing, nothing that he says doesn't go. And no one can resist his will. In Psalm 135, verse 6, we're told this about the Lord. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, and in the seas, and in all the deeps. And as the sovereign of the universe, he is worthy of our praise. And not only is the Lord all-powerful and almighty and sovereign, but He is also the creator of all things. The Apostle John tells us about the Lord, this about the Lord Jesus. He says, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And what magnificence He has created. As the angels exclaimed to Isaiah, they said, The whole earth is full of His glory. And that is another reason why we should praise Him. You see, if we want to praise the Lord like He suggests that we should, the psalmist says, we need to be reminding ourselves of what our God is like. Each day we need to remind ourselves and praise Him for His perfections. We need to praise Him for His power and His love. 
We need to praise Him for His sovereignty and His faithfulness. And we need to praise Him for His creativity and His gentleness and His patience toward us. And this daily discipline of reminding ourselves of what the Lord is like is what leads to joyful, exuberant, thankful praise of Him, both during the week and on Sunday. So in verses 1 through 5, the psalmist has commanded his readers to praise the Lord and told us why we should praise Him. Now in verse 6, he commands us to worship the Lord, saying, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, when I read this, the first question that kind of came to my mind was, well, wait a minute. Now, what's the difference between the worship of this verse and the praise that's commanded in verses 1 through 5? Well, the worship that is commanded in verse 6 has the idea of bowing down and kneeling in submission and respect and humility. The Hebrew word here for worship has the idea of submission behind it. The Hebrew word for bow down has the idea of bowing in respect to a superior. And the the Hebrew word for kneel has the idea of kneeling to someone who is far, far above you. And where the praise of verses 1 through 5 is exuberant celebration of all who the Lord is, the worship of verse 6 is a solemn outward expression of an inward attitude of submission and respect and humility before the Lord. And again, notice that verse 6 starts out with that word. It says, come. And as in verse 1, it's a command. It's a command. You see, reverent, respectful, humble submission to the Lord is expected and commanded. And in fact, without submission, the exuberant praise of verses 1 through 5 is a total sham. Joyful praise when we are harboring sin in our heart, in our lives, it, it's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. And later on in this passage, the psalmist actually warns about one sin in particular. But if we come into the Lord's presence to praise Him with any unconfessed sin in our lives, it dishonors Him. Before we come before the, pray, the time to praise the Lord, whether that be at home or here, we need to repent of all known sin. And this applies not only here, but again, all throughout the week. And the psalmist tells us why we should worship the Lord in verse 7a. He says, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. First, notice that we should worship the Lord with submission and respect and humility because He is our God. You see, He has bought us out of slavery to sin, and we are His and he is ours. Now that's the reason why we should why he we should worship him in that way. But we need to be not fearful of him. There's no reason for that. We're not submitting to a tyrant. 
No, just the opposite. The reason for our worship is that we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, we are his dearly loved flock. And he is committed to nourishing and taking care of and feeding us as his beloved sheep. The Lord our shepherd knows each one of his sheep by name. The Lord Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And this is why we need to worship him. He loves us dearly, and we need have no fear of submitting ourselves to him in humility and with respect. Because he's our shepherd. In fact, this is the natural response of those who know the Lord as their shepherd. And if we're going to worship the Lord like he desires, we must constantly remind ourselves that we are his dearly loved sheep and he is our father, he is our shepherd. And this is fact. This was demonstrated forever by the fact that Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. And we never need doubt that ever again. Now, having been commanded, having commanded his readers to worship the Lord and having told them why they should worship the Lord in verses 6 through 7a, the psalmist issues a warning about worship in verses 7b through 11. And he says this, he says, Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their heart and do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly they shall not enter into my rest. Notice, first of all, that God himself is the one who is issuing this warning. He is the one speaking here, and the implication of that is, is this is serious stuff when God himself speaks. So what is the warning that the Lord is issuing to those who would come to worship him? To understand the Lord's warning, we need to go back to when, when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And that in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, Moses says this. He says, Then all of the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, said, Why now have you brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Moses named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. 
What was wrong with what the people of Israel said here? What was the problem? What was the problem? In, in what sense? Lack of faith. In what sense? And that the Lord would take care of them. Yeah. You know, stop and think about what had the people seen so far? They had seen desert, but they had also been taken out of Israel by the Lord. With miraculous deliverances. They had seen all these incredible miracles that the Lord had done to the Egyptians. And then as they had come out, they had seen the Red Sea parted. And they walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. And then they had turned around and seen the Egyptians who were pursuing after them. They go into the Red Sea. What happens to them? Whoosh! All gone. And then every day they had seen the cloud of smoke leading them. And at night, the pillar of fire that led them where they needed to go. And every morning, when they came out in the morning, there was manna on the ground for them to eat. The Lord had provided for them so well. And not only this, but the Lord had told them this before they'd even left. He said this. He said, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you for your possession. I am the Lord. The people of Israel were walking in unbelief and rebellion. You see... They really didn't believe that God loved them and would take care of them. And they essentially spit on the goodness of God. And the psalmist in Psalm 95 is warning worshipers about that same sin of unbelief and rebellion. In Psalm 95, verse 7, remember, the psalmist has just reminded the readers, his readers, that he is their loving shepherd. And the psalmist is therefore warning them in verses 8 through 11 that disbelieving their Lord really loves them and will protect them and provide them is wrong. The writer of Hebrews quotes these same verses in Psalm 95 and issues a similar warning. He says, Take care, brethren, that you not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Have you seen the goodness of God in your own life? Have you seen Him providing for you financially? Have you seen Him working in your own heart and in the hearts of your children? Have you seen Him using you in the lives of other people in significant ways? If so, then be very careful about grumbling and complaining about your circumstances. And I point the finger at myself here too. You see, God loves you and He has promised to cause all things to work together for good for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. 
You see, such grumbling or complaining is rooted in unbelief about the character of our shepherd. And it's a slap in the face of the God who sacrificed his own son for us to show us how much he loved us. And if any of us catch ourselves grumbling and complaining about our circumstances, oh, dear brother and sister, and oh, me too, oh, confess it. Confess your unbelief and give it to the Lord and allow him to restore us. Such unbelief arouses the anger of God. Look at, court, look at verse 11 in our text. And results in us not enjoying the rest the peace and the blessings of God. Will God reject us to the point of losing our salvation if we're grumbling and complaining? No, He won't. He won't. Our salvation was forever secured by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But such unbelief does rob us of great peace and joy and blessings that the Lord very much desires to bestow on us. You see, daily submission rooted in confessing and believing rightly about the love of our shepherd is the truest and greatest act of worship that there is. So having looked at what the Lord has to say about praise and worship, let's take some time to actually praise our wonderful, sovereign Lord joyously and thankfully and exuberantly. And let's worship our loving Lord and our loving Shepherd by surrendering our lives to Him, especially any unbelief about His love and His goodness. And in preparation for our time of praise and worship, let's take a few moments to quiet our hearts and get right before the Lord. Whatever He has spoken to you this morning, get it right with Him right now. And remember, please remember, He is here right now. And He is waiting to hear our hearts as we joyously praise Him and worship Him. Let's take a moment to draw near to Him right now. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about this message, Rancho Baptist Church, or simply about knowing God in a deeper way, you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org or you can simply call us at area code 951-676-2911. May the Lord richly bless you in your walk with Him.